Hello Habit Mechanics, it's Dr John Finn here. I hope you're having a fantastic week so far. Welcome to a shorter episode of the Habit Mechanic podcast. Remember, you can listen to live episodes of the Habit Mechanic podcast inside the Habit Mechanic University app, where you can ask us questions live and we will answer you during the live streamed podcast. Inside the app, you can also access your Habit Mechanic Toolkit. You can also watch our live masterclasses and join our live Change Challenge coaching sessions. You can download the app for free. Chapter four uh, in the Habit Mechanic book tells the story of a a name that will perhaps be well recognized by a lot of people, Sir Roger Bannister the man who broke the four minute mile record. This was a major milestone, if you'll pardon the pun, in sport and athletics in the 1950s. And um, yeah, Roger Bannister was the man to break the record. And you've used this this achievement, John, and really explored the story of it to draw a fascinating parallel and, and take some great lessons from it. If you tell us more, please. I distinctly remember how I came about this. I'd heard Bannister talk about his belief in the physiology. So he he said he knew that physiologically it was possible to run a sub four minute mile. And I was just, I was walking, I distinctly remember it. I was walking to my office one day through the park. I remember it just popped into my head. Wouldn't it be great if Roger Bannister had actually done, I knew he was trying to be a medical doctor, which is where some of the confidence came from for, um, the, the fact that human physiology he felt was capable of, of of doing the sub four minute mile, achieving the sub four minute mile. But I thought, wouldn't it be great if actually he'd done some research, if he was looking at that? And when I started, so I just thought, well, I'll, I'll Google that and see what comes up. And it turned out he was actually not only trained to be a medical doctorate at Oxford when he ran the sub four minute mile, he was also a research scholar at Oxford and he was in the laboratories doing research on the role of oxygen in running so i thought wow this is fascinating and i actually got hold of a copy of uh, neil biscom's book called i think is it the perfect mile i quote it in the yeah the perfect mile neil bascom's book the perfect mile where he you know goes into mega detail across about 600 pages into how Bannister managed to achieve, be the first person in the world to to achieve this this record result. And what I found fascinating, what impact his training was actually physically having on his body and how his body was able to adapt um, and to refine and to become more efficient at running the mile. And also how he was using those insights to inform the way that he then trained and actually the way that he ran, even his running style, he was was being informed by insights he was getting from, in simple terms, what he was learning about what was going on in his body. Coupled with that, there were two other prominent athletes who were trying to break that record at the same time. Um, an American called Wes Santee and an Australian called John Landy. They were all going for it. They were, it was like a three-horse race, if you like. The other two athletes were not 
doing the physiology work. They were not looking at their physiology in the same way Bannister was. So they were just looking at how fast did I run in training? Let me tweak my training style based on, based on I don't know what, based on some insight that their trainer had about how to run faster based on their experience, um, but not based on actually what was going on inside the body. But you point out how Bannister used this approach um, very distinct from the other two. And you would you would describe the approach the other two rivals took as a black box approach, not looking in detail at the inputs and measuring those kind of things. Please do tell us more about that, because I think that's so important for people to understand the distinction. Yeah, and it's a term people are not familiar with in this context. I think we think of a black box as something you get in an aeroplane that records what goes on. But actually, the, this this term, in the way I'm using it, I first came across when I was studying my master's and some academics um, that were doing research in the university I was working in, they'd published a few papers talking about black box theories. And essentially, black box theory is a theory that's created when the scientists don't actually know what is going on inside of the phenomena they're looking at. So in other, in, in simple terms, if um, you have a cup of coffee, which is, think of that as the input, the output is you feel more alert, you feel it's easier to, to concentrate. But actually if you were looking at that through a black box, black box lens, you wouldn't understand what happened in your brain to make you feel more focused and more alert. Another example, you might get some negative feedback from your boss. That's an input. The output is that you don't feel very good, you worry, you beat yourself up but you don't actually know what went on inside your brain to make you feel like that. So the black box approach in, in scientific terms is describing research, methodologies, practices that have been developed without actually understanding what goes on inside, in our case, the brain, but in the case of the Roger Bannister story, and for Wes Santi and John Landy, his rivals, they were using a black box approach to their training. They were training and then they were getting an output. The output may have mean, meant they were running faster, but they didn't know what was going on inside their body to help them to get those results. So therefore they had less information um, to help them to refine and tweak and advance their training further. Whereas Bannister was actually training but then analyzing what was going on inside his body and therefore the results of his training were far more meaningful and he had a far better understanding of what he needed to tweak and refine in the habit mechanic approach and this, this sounds absolutely bizarre to say it but it's real when you go to a coach you go to a psychologist you go to a therapist you go to a counselor all these people that are experts um obviously on a continuum some are, some are more expert than others they're the people that you go to to help you to think more effectively in simple terms it might be to help you to supercharge your stress management or your motivation or your productivity or 
uh, your confidence or to become a better leader, etc. The advice they are giving you 99.9% .9 of the time is, black, is based on black box theories because most of their training and the theories they learned were created before we actually understood how brains worked. And the point, I think it's the 1950s when Bannister breaks this record. I, I think that the technologies Bannister was using to analyse what, what I call uh, gas exchange and physiological peripheral indices, things like heart rate, etc. Um, we were able to take those measurements from, from human beings, I, I think from about the 1930s, and that kind of research was ramped up into World War II. So we had this ability since about the 1930s to really look in quite a lot of detail at human physiology. We've only been able to look inside the human brain in real time, so in a meaningful way, for about 20, 25 years. And we've spent, you know, that the human brain is the most complex thing in the known universe. So you don't just look inside it and go, oh yeah, that's obvious how it all works, etc. We've had to make sense of that. So the vast majority of advice we're being given before the habit mechanic approach to help us to do better is based on black box theories. That means that it's never going to be anywhere near as powerful and as insightful as it can be. And it means that sometimes it's just going to get things wrong. You know, one of the really simple ideas there is that Certainly when I went to school, it was by the top experts in the world. They believed that when you stopped physically growing, that your brain stopped changing in any um, important way. So that basically when you stop physically growing, what you had neurobiologically, your talents you want to use that word, your skills, your abilities, your character traits were absolutely fixed and set. We now know that's nonsense and our brain is changing all the time via a process called neuroplasticity. And in fact, that brains in males are not fully mature until we're about 25 years old. That means that the powerful prefrontal cortex sites where our willpower lives is not actually fully wired in men until we're about 25 the females about 24 so you know some of these things that we used to believe about the brain were just fundamentally flawed but some of these ideas they still persist you know so things like psychometrics are still widely used even though we know that they're flawed and i would argue that they do more damage than good theories like Maslow's hierarchy of needs but all the black box theories and they're, they're the dominant theories they're 99.9% of the theories that people are using every day to inform their practice and that's also why when we go to experts they believe that if they can get you to know what to do differently and maybe give you a few skills that's going to help you to change your behavior but brains don't run on knowing they run on habits I think that what I would now call habit science, which is a combination of neuroscience, behavioral science, applied um, performance psychology. I think that habit science can do for well-being and human performance, team performance, individually and collectively. 
what sports science did for the physical conditioning of professional athletes um, in the last 20 years. You know, it's one thing, and this is why I suppose the Habit Mechanic approach and the Habit Mechanic book is different from the app, is that, yeah, there's a chapter in there about um, Roger Bannister and how he was using a new approach that wasn't a black box approach. Many books I read would just then repeat that idea maybe 10 times across 10 different chapters, maybe using 10 different case studies. But what the habit mechanic approach is about is giving you the toolkit then to, to make that a reality in your own life, your clients' lives, your team's lives, etc.